Listen, I, 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 uh, I want to I wanna jump into this because I know that it's uh, what most people think is Memorial Day weekend, but it's actually more than that. And we'll talk about why it's more than that. Um, I see y'all fanning. I told y'all going to get hot in here. I told y'all. That's why I make it cold so when y'all get done, y'all ain't just about to pass out. Amen. But uh, I don't know, man. I don't know how many people got a chance to hear the teaching uh, this morning. Thank you. That Pastor Shun taught. Uh, she started a new series uh, called Kingdom Alignment. And if you didn't get a chance to hear it, I understand because some of you were, were preparing to come here. But man, you ought to go and listen to it. Uh, I know we're going to teach on that for a little bit. But it is a, uh, for those of you who may not know what I'm talking about, maybe you don't follow us as closely as we would like or that you should. But we've been, uh, <laughs> but we've been teaching the last several weeks from this thing called There Is a Christ for That. And it was, it started with this dream that the Lord gave me that I, I, won't, I won't go through the whole thing. But, but basically, <laughs> basically the Lord gave me this, basically, <laughs> basically the Lord gave me this dream. And in a dream, he, he, he took me to what could only have been heaven. And there was a place in heaven that looked a lot like a large cathedral. And in that cathedral, I was asking the Lord before we got there, what, what do I tell the people? Like, what, what do you want me to say? Because preaching is one thing. I said the other day, you can be a great orator, but that doesn't mean that you're actually communicating God's word. And I said, God, what do you want me to say to your people? And he, and he, and he made that statement. He said, tell them that there's a Christ for that. And it, I didn't, it didn't resonate with me at first. I didn't understand why he was saying that. And as, as, as he was explaining that, he said, let me show you something. We walked down this long thing, and he takes my shoulders, and he turns, which only could, in my imagination, was like miles, right? And I see this, this glorious light that I represent, in my mind, that had to be Jesus. Um, and, and you see all of these people to the right side. And, and they, I mean, everything you can think of that people could suffer from, there was someone along that line suffering. And as Jesus began to walk toward us, every one of those people, Whatever they were suffering with was miraculously healed. Jesus wasn't touching them. He wasn't praying for them. His presence just moved, and it changed the situation. And so we started talking about understanding, and, and you know this. I, I don't want to belabor the point that when we say Jesus Christ, it's not like Jesus is his first name and Christ is his last name. It is Jesus, the anointed one, and who in Christ, the anointing. It's the anointed one who carries the anointing with him. And, and literally, God was saying, tell my people that there is an anointing available for whatever it is that they're facing. And, and we dug into that, and we started talking about that and talking about that. And it was interesting because I go back and I look at our analytics because I, I, I like to know who's watching. I like to know where they're watching from. I like to know how long the people are watching. And so far since January, those uh, three messages, three or four messages that we taught on Christ is the Answer, have been the most viewed uh, broadcast that we've had, right? I know, that's what I said too. I was like, praise God. I was like, amen, thank God for that. And then Pastor and I were talking, and she started talking about kingdom alignment. She started talking about living a God-aligned lifestyle. A God-aligned lifestyle. And we, we often talk about what we're studying back and forth. We don't really go through our notes with each other a lot. 
but we talk about what we're talking about. And I was preparing to teach this week, and as we started talking about it, as he was talking about kingdom alignment, I thought about the broadcast. And what she was saying is that in kingdom alignment, kingdom alignment is about us getting right. But when we talked about there was a Christ, there's, an, there's a Christ for that, it was about what the people could get. I'll pause for just a moment. Stay with me. When we talk about what people can get from God, they get extremely excited. You start to tell people you're next in line to be a millionaire. Ooh, they get excited. You tell people you're next in line to receive your healing. Super excited. Your man, your woman, who your, your, your life mate, they right around the corner. Oh, Jesus. You get real excited. Whenever we talk to people about what God can do for them, people get excited. So I started thinking, why do so many people watch? There's a Christ for that. I had to be metacognitive and ask myself, what was it about that teaching? that people were willing to share. What was it about that teaching that got people excited? What was it about there being a Christ for that that made people say, oh, girl, you got to listen to this. Man, you got to listen to this because that message was about how their problems could get solved. And then I thought, oh, the last huddle we had was what? Easter. What is Easter all about? The resurrection. What do we get out of the resurrection? New life. So churches were full on Easter. We even make jokes about it. We say that there's a certain group of people who are CME. What does that stand for? Y'all done made the joke. We talk about Christmas. Now, let's think about this for a second. Stay with me. Why is Christmas so important? Because what do we celebrate? The birth of Christ. Why is that important to us? Because if Christ wasn't born, he couldn't have. And if he didn't die, we couldn't be. So we celebrate Christmas and we celebrate Easter. Do y'all know what today is? Now, a couple saved folks yelled it out. A couple saved folks yelled it out. But this is Pentecost Sunday. Not just Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pentecost. It's Pentecost Sunday. But why, but why don't we celebrate Pentecost Sunday like we celebrate Christmas? Why don't, we why don't we celebrate Pentecost Sunday the way we celebrate Easter? Because Pentecost Sunday is about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that does something in you, not necessarily for you. And so all across the country today, people are thinking, oh, I went to, I went to Easter Sunday. I'm going to take a break this Sunday. But do you know that out of, out of, if you could take three Christian holidays, the three you ought to be the most excited about should be Christmas, because that's when Jesus was born, when we celebrate it. Easter, because he not only died, but he was resurrected. 
but he, but he didn't just die to die. He died to make a promise. See, he didn't just die. He died so that you and I could have him live in us. He said, I go to the Father, but I don't leave you alone. He said, I promise to send you a paraclete. I'm going to send you a teacher. I'm going to send you someone who's going to lead you and guide you into all truth and understanding. I'm going to give you somebody to be the God in your life when nobody else is there. He said, I'm going to give you the Holy Ghost. He made them a promise, and those people believed in that promise. So much so that they went to Jerusalem and they stayed there until the promise was fulfilled. And so this, this ain't really what I wanted to talk about, but I got to get you in the right frame of mind for what we're going to talk about. Because today I'm not talking to you about what you can get from God. This morning I want to connect this with what Pastor Sean was talking about this morning, about how you can live for him. Not what you can get from him, but what can you give? Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. Say, there's power in a decision. I don't know if you really understand the power of a decision. The decision you make today to, how did you say it this morning, to come back home. It was a scripture in Joel, and you was reading it. It said, do not tear your clothes. It says, but tear your heart. So that you might return to God. Don't, don't, don't tear your clothes. Tear your heart. I'm talking about tearing your heart this morning. So that you can be in a position. To not always be a taker from God. But that you can be a partner with God. You need to go back and read to, and listen to the message this morning. Pastor Sean gave some startling statistics. One of the things she said that really jumped out at me. She said two in five people. Two out of every five people who say they are a born-again believer, say they live their life on a daily basis where Jesus doesn't matter. I'm a born-again believer, but I wake up in the morning and I don't think about God. I go through lunch, I don't think about God. I go through dinner, I don't think about God. I deal with my kids, I don't deal, think about God. I deal with my wife, I don't think about God. I make decisions, I don't think about God. I'm a born-again believer, but I don't think about God. Jesus means nothing to me. Why? Because I already got from him what I needed. I'm saved. I'm not going to hell. So I, I, I have from him what I need. Now I need him to stay out of my way so I can do me. Amen, light bulb. Here's what you got to understand. If we continue as a church, not our church, the body of Christ, living like that, we will never be able to reach those who don't know him at all. If the folks who claim to know him don't even think about him, how can the people who don't know him think about him? If, if I don't know him and I interact with you and you act like you don't know him, how do I ever get to know him? 
But the whole purpose of, of Jesus saving us was not just so we could be saved. He said, now that you are saved, go. go. Make disciples of them. You teaching them. Yes. And so this morning, that's kind of what we want to talk about. I was going to talk about the historical context of Pentecost, but I don't want to get into that. I want you to know that there is power. I want you to know that there's purpose in Pentecost. The Bible, one of the, one of the, one of the famous scriptures I grew up on in the Koji Church was Acts 1 and 8. It said, and you shall receive what? Power. After what? The Holy Ghost has come upon you. Do you understand that if you are a born-again believer, and you say you are a born-again believer, but you don't either have the Holy Ghost or you don't allow the Holy Ghost to speak to you, or you don't allow the Holy Spirit to direct to you, it is the equivalent of you being a Rolls Royce ghost without an engine. It's like you being wireless headphones with no Bluetooth. You're useless. And most people don't want to talk to people about that. You're useless. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the reason, one of the reasons Jesus died, so that you would know what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. Amen. So there's purpose in it. There's power in it. Yes. Pastor Sean talked about signs and wonders and miracles. One of the things she's going to introduce, and she said it this morning, so I'll say it, in the month of June, our church is going to go on a fast. Amen. Don't get scared. She got a couple different options for you. But you understand that when you fast, it helps you to become disciplined. And yes. the, real, the reality is that most church people are not disciplined. Yes. They are disciplined. And they get mad when you try to help them be disciplined. Even if they ask you to help them you ever had somebody say, hey, if you see me eating something, don't let me eat it. They eating the Oreo, you hit the hand, don't hit my hand. You told me don't let you eat the Oreo. It's like we got to learn how to be accountable. Amen? And so this morning, here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about living relentlessly in Christ. I want to talk about how to live relentless in Christ. How do we live relentlessly in Christ? Because this goes right along with being aligned to God's kingdom. You know, we spent the first part of this year reading the guiding word, right? And we get hyped through them first two or three paragraphs. And, and, and I ain't judge you. I got hyped too. Partner with God. Supernatural gates open. I am here for you. All of those things. I, I, I get excited too. But you know one part we hadn't focused on a whole lot? Can I read it for you? Because it's in there. It says, so... Prepare yourselves, <laughs> repent, and turn away. I ain't making this up. It's on the website. It's been there all year. It's been, uh, it's been there all year. He says, repent and turn away from godless behavior. He says, allow my word to cut away all hidden sin and iniquity, and then watch me take care of you. The problem is we want God to take care of us while we do our own thing. We want God to show up and be on our agenda, even if our agenda is not his agenda. And the reality of it is, is it simply cannot work that way. So this morning, I want to share with you just a few, just, just real quick, I want to share with you five points on what it means to be relentless in Christ. And how I believe that all of us need to learn to pursue him relentlessly. 
First of all, the Cambridge Dictionary defines the word relentless as continuing in a determined way without any interruption. Now think about that definition, continuing in a determined way without any interruption. I make a decision to pursue after God without interruption. That means I don't care what my friends are doing. I don't care what my family is doing. I don't care what the economy is doing. Watch this, I don't care what I'm doing. Because the way I feel has nothing to do with a decision that I make. The way I feel, people who are, who, who are dedicated to going to the gym don't feel like going to the gym every day. People who are dedicated to eating right, they're not, they don't feel like doing that. You don't think they want to eat bad sometimes too? But the reality of it is, is that I have to be determined in such a way that I do not allow interruptions to happen in my life when it comes to me pursuing God. In the Oxford Dictionary, it's defined as an unceasingly intense behavior. Unceasingly intense People ask us sometimes, and I, and I know we get on people's nerves, and I used, to, I used to care. I don't anymore. Man, y'all seem like y'all so serious at FOC. Why would you not be serious about God? Why would you want to go to a place where people aren't serious about the one who saved their life? And then people say like this, well, I can't go to one of them holiness churches. What kind of church wouldn't be holy? But think about it. A church, I ain't talking about a gathering spot. I ain't talking about a social club. I mean, if you are in the Lord's church, he's, the, the, the Bible says, be ye holy for I am holy. So holiness shouldn't be a, a, a bad thing. But people have equated holiness to what you got on. Holiness ain't whether you got on makeup or not. Holiness is not about whether you don't wear pants or not. Holiness is about how you conduct yourself. It's about how you live. There are some other synonyms that we could use, things like persistent, unyielding, tenacious, to be steadfast, to be unrelenting, to be determined, to be tireless, unflagging, to be resolute, to be indomitable, to be firm, unswerving, and to be single-minded. When it comes to serving God, I have to make a decision. I said this morning when Pastor Sean was preaching, you are going to partner with somebody. You're going to partner with God or you're going to partner with the devil. There is no neutrality. You get to choose. It's the reason the Bible says I placed before you today what? Life and? Death. And in case you don't know, pick life. Pick life. It's an open book test. In case you don't know, I'm telling you which one to pick because the other one you don't want. So this morning I ask you to give me your attention and just let us take a moment as you open your hearts and your minds to receive these truths. I want you to take a moment. I want you to allow Holy Spirit to do what, what, what we used to call in the Kojic Church, to reignite you. Amen. Now, a lot of people go, well, if you got the Holy Ghost, why you got to be reignited? The same reason why you got to refill your car with gas. Because you drive it. You use it up. You wear, you, you wear the Holy Spirit out with all your foolishness, so you need to keep opening yourself so he can keep coming in there. Why? Not because the Holy Spirit is limited, but because you keep hardening your heart to him. And the more you harden your heart with your foolishness, the harder it is for you to hear his voice. You ever been driving in a car listening to a radio station? And the radio station's just fine? And you go about 20 miles and start to... You can still kind of hear it. And you just keep going. 
and, and at one point you would listen to whoever you listening to, and then the next time it, it done switched you to, to, to talk radio, same channel, same channel, what happened? Different frequency. Different frequency. Why? Because you have left the proximity of where that signal was. Holy Spirit ain't left you. You left the proximity of where he was speaking. See, most of us live a life that we want Holy Spirit to chase us down. You want the Holy Well, Holy Spirit, you don't want me to fornicate. You better come get me up out this bed. No, I'm going to tell you don't get in the bed. Amen. That's what Holy Spirit's going to do, and the rest is up to you. The problem is, is that you rely on your willpower instead of Holy Spirit power. Why? Because we don't understand how to pursue God relentlessly. So how do we do that? Let's talk about these points real quick. Number one, if we are going to learn to pursue God relentlessly, we have to learn to embrace the call to holiness. Now, I know folk don't like to talk about that. I know that gets on people's nerve. I know they don't want to go to no holiness church. I don't go to no holiness church. All I do is holiness, holiness, holiness. I know. But do you realize that if you don't embrace holiness, there, there is no way that you can be in close proximity to God? There's no way to be in close proximity. Look at this, 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16. It says it like this. It says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am what? Holy. So we have to get back to this idea. I don't know what happened. When I was younger, and I'm sure other people in here could attest to this, especially if you grew up in the Koji church. That Eve, or really almost any church, really, if, 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 you, went, yeah, if you went to a predominantly African-American church, you probably not heard this. Now, I don't know what happened, because Lord knows it done changed. I mean, I see people on TV talking about how it doesn't change because they be saying stuff. But it used to be that sin was sin and sin was wrong even if you did it. Now, that's what we were taught. Sin is sin and sin is wrong even if you do it. So it, it, it wasn't no well, my baby do it, so it's all right. No, no, no. Sin is sin. Sin is wrong, even if you do it. But nowadays, we got people from pulpits who are teaching that what the Bible says is no longer applicable to today's life. Pastor, what do you mean? I heard a famous preacher, and I can say it because he was on television, tell an entire group of people that fornication was no longer wrong. Because we cannot expect people to live in this today's society, right? And not have sex before marriage. And here's the kicker. They say, well, it's not premarital sex if you're not planning to get married. See, you gotta understand, you gotta understand the times that we are living in. People are willing to make the scripture say whatever they wanted to say to do whatever they wanted to do. It used to be we did whatever we wanted to do, but we still called wrong, wrong. Now, what, what's the difference, Pastor? You say y'all used to do what y'all wanted to do. We did, but we called it wrong. 
The problem now is you do what you want to do and you don't call it wrong and there's no reason for repentance because it ain't wrong. So what we have done in the body of Christ is we have slowly allowed the world's way of thinking to creep into the church to give us reason to do what we want to do without the ability of hearing God chastise us to change. Now, somebody said, what's the problem with that? Well, here's the issue. The Bible even tells us, it says God, you read it this morning, it says God has not been slow to come the reason he has prolonged his coming was to give us an opportunity to be saved so that we could repent so that he could come and find us not lacking but the problem is the church has allowed for whatever reason I don't want to offend nobody. I don't want folk to be mad. I want folk to come to church and be comfortable. I want you to come to church and repent and live a great life and not go to hell. Because the reality of it is, is if we allow people to look at holiness as, as, as though it's some dirty thing, then we won't embrace it. And if we don't embrace it, we'll accept everything. We'll accept everything. So this year, fornication ain't wrong. But what happens when they declare adultery ain't wrong and somebody come for your spouse? Oh, now you want to fight. Oh, 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 now you're mad. Oh, that, that's your sticking point. That's your sticking point. You're mad now. You're mad now. Because you have to understand that anytime you give the enemy a push and you allow him to come this way, he's never satisfied with just being here. The Bible says a little leaven levieth the whole what? Lump. A little yeast makes the whole cake rise. Y'all got riled up talking about them coming for your spouse, didn't you? Y'all got hot. You got mad about that. You ought to be like that for everything the world is telling us that is opposite of what the word of God says. So we got to learn to embrace holiness. To be relentless in Christ, we must embrace the call to holiness. God has called us to be set apart. God has called us to be a holy people. This means we have to strive to align our thoughts, align our words, align our actions, and his word to our life. This means allowing the Holy Spirit to come in and to wash us and to sanctify us and to transform us into his word through the word of Jesus Christ. When we do this, we guard our hearts, we guard our minds. When you, when, you, when, you, when, you, when you can tell yourself, I did this thing and it's wrong and I shouldn't have done it, rather than I did this thing, but God knows my heart. You see the difference? Because when you say I did this thing and it was wrong and I should repent of it, it's not saying that you're a bad person. It's saying you're acknowledging that you missed the mark. But when you come over here and you say, well, it was wrong. Well, God knows my heart. God loves me. He wouldn't, he, he wouldn't, be, he may, he wouldn't be upset with me because God loves me. You are now giving yourself excuse to keep going down that rabbit hole. To keep going down that space of doing the next thing that's even more wrong than what you did before. In other words, we got to learn how to seek to live a life that pleases God. We got to seek to live a life that pleases God in every aspect, not just half of our life, not just three-fourths of our life. Amen. This means that we have to learn to embrace the call to surrender our own desires and our own ambitions to God. 
We got to learn to allow his spirit to transform us from the inside out. Too many people want to change on the outside, but changing on the outside is just temporary. It's just temporary. I heard somebody say one time, it's the equivalent of treating a broken arm with a Band-Aid. You did something, but it wasn't enough to fix anything. So you're just living your life trying to fix the outside things and not allowing Holy Spirit to fix on the inside is only going to cause you to have some discomfort later on down the road. So, Pastor, what's the, what's the answer then? How do we fix this? So if we're going to learn to embrace the call to holiness, here's what we got to do. we got to strive to honor God. Too many people do not honor God. How do I know you don't honor God? Because you just, you don't, two out of five people don't spend no time with him. They don't even consider, what he, they don't even consider anything about him when they make their daily decisions. How do, you know you, how do you know you honor anybody? Talk back to me. How do you know you honor somebody? What do you do? If you honor somebody, what do you do? You respect them. What does that look like? You consider them. What else? You make time for them. What else? You listen to them. What else? You exalt them in a high place. What did you say? You immolate them, right? You go after, you do what they do. That's how we know that you honor God. But how can you emulate someone you don't know? Come on. People walking around with WWJD, they don't know. What would Jesus do? I ain't got a clue. Why? Because they ain't spent any time. You ain't spent any time with Jesus, so how would you know what he would do? That's why you can make it up. That's why you can make it up. I cussed them out. Well, what would Jesus do? Same thing. That's what I did. Really? Oh, well, well, that's far-fetched. Yet we see people with shirts on that say, I love God, but I cuss a little. You don't honor God. You don't. You don't know him. You, uh, well, 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 it's just words. Well, well, sex is just sex, so I guess you just don't have as much as you want with that. Where do we stop? We have to get back to the word. If you don't allow the word to be your foundation, anything goes. And if anything goes, you don't need a God because you're it. I told you. People don't like to hear that stuff, but it's the truth. And you have to say it to yourself so you don't get mad when the preacher say it. If I say this to myself, if I chastise myself, then when someone else says it, it's confirmation for me. It's not an irritant for me. So I got to strive to honor God in my thoughts. I got to strive to honor God in my speech. I got to strive to honor God in my actions. I have to avoid compromising situations, and I have to choose righteousness over sin every time. Well, Pastor, it's just so hard. I know. I've been there. But I read somewhere where the Bible says that with every temptation, God makes a way for escape. Every temptation. Every time, every situation, God gives you a way to escape. Now, you have to make the decision whether you want to escape. You got to decide if you're going to be like Joseph when the woman tried to push up on him and he took off running out the house. Or you're going to be a David and look and see Bathsheba over there and call her to you. Both of them had the opportunity to escape. And that's why decisions 
are so important. Decisions are so important because one wrong decision can put you down a path you didn't even have to go down. Will God rescue you? Yes. But would you rather for God to pick you up and carry you to your destination or would you rather have to fall down a cliff and have him drag you by your feet to your destination? I mean, you, brought, you get there, but which one do you want? Which one do you want? Some of you want the hard way. No, Pastor, I don't. Then why are you disobedient? Not me, Pastor. I don't want to do that. Then why won't you stop doing what he told you to do? Because you have not embraced holiness. To embrace holiness, we must constantly take the time, hear me, to evaluate our attitudes. Some of you need to evaluate your attitude right now. You're mad at me, but it ain't me you should be mad at. We must constantly take the time to evaluate our attitudes and our behaviors. We must ask Holy Spirit to reveal to us the areas that need transformation and then be willing to submit to him so that he can help us in the refining process. It does no good to say, Holy Spirit, show me where I'm wrong. And he's showing you, you go, mm. <laughs> He showed you, but you didn't care to change. He, it's, it's like I told somebody, you know, when people told that story about Peter, and, and, and when Peter got out the boat, Peter got out the boat and walked on the water because he asked a question that forced Jesus not into a position to have to respond. And Jesus can't lie. Right. Peter didn't say, Lord, can I walk on the water? That's not what he said. He didn't ask to walk on the water. He never asked that. If you read the actual Bible, he never says that. People preach it that way, but he doesn't. What he said is, Lord, if it be you, then bid me come. Well, the Lord couldn't deny himself, so he said, come on, boy. And based on that word, he was able to defy natural circumstances and walk on water. Until when? Until he took his eyes off holiness. As long as he beheld holiness, as long as he looked to Jesus, because understand, he didn't, the, the winds and all of that stuff was ancillary. None of that stuff mattered until it mattered to Peter. Ooh. Help me out this morning. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, none of your problems matter until they matter to you. See, there is a Christ. <laughs> There's a Christ for that. So you don't have to worry about your problems as long as you are embracing holiness. If you focus on Jesus, then your problems aren't relevant anymore. But the moment you take your, your, your focus off of holiness and focus it on your problems, focus it on your own life, on your own decisions, the Bible says then Peter began to what? Sing. And the moment you take your, your eyes off of the Father is when your life begins to sink. So number one, we got to make sure that we embrace the call to holiness. If we're going to live relentlessly for God, number two, we got to pursue intimacy with God. We have to pursue intimacy with God. I used to remember um, I, had a, I had a mnemonic. I don't know why. Uh, this was a, I remember this. This was like a sixth, fifth or sixth grade spelling word. And I could not remember how to spell the word. And so I created this mnemonic for intimacy, which is into me. You see, 
And I was like, oh, okay, if I remember it that way, then I can remember the letters and I can spell it. But think about that. Intimacy is being into another person. So if I'm going to pursue intimacy with God, I can't do it from a distance. Think about this. Most people would tell you the one kind of relationship they don't like is what? Long distance relationships. Why? They just don't never work. Why? No intimacy. No intimacy. Some of y'all been long distancing for a while. Still ain't got no ring. There's no intimacy with long distance. You're fooling yourself. I met my wife. I met my wife, and she was three hours from me because it wasn't no, it wasn't no five forty or forty nine, whatever y'all got now. You had, you had to get off at Mount, what was that, uh, Mountain Bird, uh, Ozark, and hit the pig trail, baby. And I don't know if you're gonna be on the pig trail at night, but it ain't no trail you can see. Your headlights is it. You got to drop on each side of the road. That's all you got. And it wasn't supposed to be no 18-wheelers on there, but every time I drove it, it was an 18-wheeler on there. But when I knew, when I knew I wanted to have a relationship, I did not let... <laughs> when I knew I wanted a relationship... I did not let distance deter me because you could not build intimacy long distance. So why do I only want to talk to God once a week? Why do I only want to commune with God? And, and, and watch this. Some of you don't even talk to God until you are in crisis. So your relationship is not even a loving relationship with him. It is a relationship of begging. It's a relationship of, oh, my God. It's a relationship of stress and anxiety. Could you imagine being in a relationship with any person, and every time you talk to them, they were like this every single time you were talking to them because you needed to get something done because you were in crisis? No. No. But that's how some of you show up to God. That's how some of you show up to God. God, I need you. God, I, God, I need you. He done broke my heart. He's like, you wasn't never supposed to be with him no way. Intimacy, intimacy says, God, I so know that you want what's best for me that if you tell me no, I thank you for telling me no. Yes, sir. I don't fight you for telling me no because I know that you are so into me that you only want what's best for me. But here's how most people do. God says, no. Okay, let me go see. <laughs> then you come back with your tail tucked between your legs talking about, God, I need you to restore me and heal me. And he will, but you didn't have to go through that. You didn't have to go through that. Here, look at this. The Bible says in James 4 and 8, draw near to God. And what? He will do what? He'll draw near to you. God's a gentleman. He, you know, if, if I say that all the time, if I was God, there'd be no sin. I go, poof, and all y'all have to serve. Wouldn't be no sin. 
But that's not love. Love says, I give you the choice. So God loves us enough for us to be able to choose to love him. He lets us choose to pursue intimacy. That's why I use that word pursue, because it's not like he's going to make us. We have to go after him. Understand this, a relentless pursuit of Christ involves setting aside dedicated time for prayer. We talked about that. Somebody said dedication. It takes time for reading his word and to spend time worshiping him. One of our four commitments in this church, if you've been paying attention the last two years, one of our four commitments is to do what every day? That's one. What's another one? Read your Bible. What's another one? Ten church. Even if you got to catch it online in the replay, what's the other one? See? If you know those things, but you're not doing those things, that's the problem. Because knowing scripture, knowing about God is not the same thing as knowing God. Understand this. It's an intimate relationship with him. Which means we must prioritize spending time in his presence and seeking him with all of our heart. When people say they don't have time to pray, I'm like, what do you mean? I, I just didn't have time. What were you doing? No, seriously, what were you doing? Because if you didn't have time to pray, then that means you weren't even considering God. But it's amazing how you have time to pray when all hell breaks loose in your life. When your heart gets broke, when your money gets funny, now you got time to pray. And I'm telling you, and I'm telling you this because I love you whether you get mad at me or not, that is extremely parasitic to behave that way. It's extremely parasitic to be a person who wants someone to do something for you when you do have something to offer them and you don't offer it. What do I have to offer God? Your obedience. Your obedience. You can offer God your obedience. You want his everything else. So you got to learn how to pursue intimacy. Here's, here's how you do it. Joshua 1 and 8 gives us a, a textbook definition. It says, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou shalt mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then, what's going to happen? Thou shalt make thy way, what? Prosperous, and then thou shalt have what? Good success. You want it before. You want it before. You want success before you spend time in the word. You want to prosper before you spend time building intimacy with God. You want God to do all of these things for you so that then you can feel good about doing the thing you're supposed to do first. And that's backwards. That's backwards. And it's not going to be beneficial for your life. Number three, if we're going to live relentlessly for God, we got to learn to cultivate a passion for his kingdom. And listen, I know all of y'all pretty well. Y'all pretty passionate people when you want to be. Amen. Come on. Come on. I, I, when I talked about your husband getting took from you, your wife getting, y'all almost jumped up out your seats. <laughs> so you have the ability to be passionate. So we got to learn to cultivate that passion for God. What was that song they used to sing? They used to say, you don't love God? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? You got to cultivate a passion. You got to cultivate a passion for God. You got to cultivate a passion for God like you do for them Celtics. Or the Heat. Or the Lakers. Or Denver. Or whoever. 
We were eating somewhere the other day, and the, and the guy hardly couldn't take our order because he was watching the Razorback bas uh, baseball game. And they was losing four to one. I'm like, sir, your job is to take this order. Not, not, right. But he was passionate. You know what? You never have to tell anybody what you're passionate about. You never have to tell them. You don't have to tell anybody you're passionate about the Lord. I, I know you got the right t-shirt and the right bracelet. You got that big family bobble in your car. I know. But that doesn't mean that you're passionate. We can tell what you're passionate about by how you behave, about how your actions, where you spend your time. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 33, Pastor Sean talked about this this morning. Again, go back and listen to that message. It says, but seek ye first the kingdom of righteousness. And all of these things will be given unto you. All of these things. What are the things? The things that you spend so much time worrying about that you don't have time to pray about. But I'm reminded of a scripture in Philippians 4, I believe, and it's 6 and 7, and it says, don't worry about anything. But pray about everything. Tell God what you need and then thank him for everything that he's done. Don't worry about anything, but pray about what? Everything. You got it backwards. You ain't praying about nothing and worrying about everything. And how's that working for you? How is that producing for you? And in the reality of life, if you continue to do this, you're going to continue to get what you have because the classic definition of insanity is what? Doing the same thing over and over, expecting exactly right so don't be crazy <laughs> listen being relentless in Christ means cultivating a passion for his kingdom that means you want to see his kingdom grow so if you want to see his kingdom grow that means you got to be willing to share what you know about the kingdom with people who don't know about the kingdom don't answer this out loud but ask yourself who have you shared the gospel with the first five months of this year and clicking like on a post that says Jesus is lo God loves you or Jesus is not sharing the gospel. I know you click 20 things about, about Jesus on Facebook, but that, ain't, that don't count. But think about it. Ask yourself, who have you shared the gospel with? Now, what is the gospel? The gospel is the too good to be true good news. What do you mean too good to be true? The gospel is that we were sinners Somebody paid our debt and did not make us pay it. That's too good to be true. Not only did they pay for the debt that I had done in the past, they paid for my current debts and any future debts. They got me debt free. That is the too good to be true good news. Who have you shared that with? Just think about it. January? February? March? chilling in March. April? I was going to. May? I got two days left. Who have you shared the gospel with? And if, no one, if you haven't shared the gospel with anybody, ask the Lord. Say, Lord, give me somebody I can share the gospel with. And then you got to be bold enough to do it. Oh, but that's just not my personality. But you, we ain't talking about your personality. That's the problem. We're talking about the Holy Spirit who is on the inside of you who says he will give every man the ability to answer every question. Amen. So let's make this confession. Sometimes you have to make the confession even before you believe it. So 
Say, Father God, I declare I will be purposeful about sharing the gospel to increase your kingdom. All right. Keep singing it. Keep singing until you it resonate with you, all right? So we got to become passionate about his kingdom. How do we become passionate about anything? Well, first of all, you got to prioritize. You got to prioritize what we just confessed, which is serving others, whether through volunteering, whether through acts of kindness, or ministering to those in need. You got to make it a priority. You got to make it a priority. One of the easiest ways, Pastor John, not share the gospel is when we go out to eat. What do you mean? We give amazing tips. If you give an amazing tip, most people, the waiters, they come, they take the thing, and they leave, and they come, and they kind of walk off and look at it and they go, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate that. And it gives us the opportunity to say, you're welcome. And by the way, is there anything we can pray for you? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Your money will make room for you. I ain't going to be giving no big tips like that. See, that's a scarcity mentality. And, 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 and what you don't realize is that the most precious thing is not your money, it's the kingdom. Yeah. Amen. And when you take care of the kingdom, watch this, God will take care of your money. Yeah. Oh, I'm a witness. God will take care of your money. When you do what's right by God and his kingdom, you never come up short. Amen. You never come up short. Now, you got to do the things God tells you to do. You got to work. You got to invest. You got you to do all those other things He tells you to do. You can't just be out just giving tips and going home just waiting for, for a miracle to happen. Well, I gave $50. I'm waiting on a million. I ain't talking about that. This ain't magic. This ain't Jack in the, in the bean stall. It's not magic beans. But if you work the word, we, say, we used to say this all the time when we were early off in ministry. We even had a magazine called Working the Word Magazine. In the, in, the, in the top of it, it used to say, if you work the word, the word will work for you. If you work the word, it'll work for you. God is no respecter of persons. Number four, if we're going to live a relentless life, then we got to learn to persevere in the face of opposition. Everything ain't going to be easy. Everything ain't going to be easy. The Bible says in James 1, 2, and 3, you ought to count it all joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces patience or perseverance. Everything ain't going to be easy. Well, I love the Lord while I'm going through this. Well, there are people who don't love the Lord and they're going through it too. You're not exempt. But the difference is, is that you have God on your side. You have God on your side. If we're going to learn to be relentless in Christ, then we must learn to persevere in the face of opposition. We used to say this all the time. you got to stop being a faith punk. They said, what did he say? I did. you got to stop being a faith punk. you got to stop giving up, caving in, and quitting every time something gets difficult. You ain't the first person who done been through it. You ain't the last who gonna go through it. But with the Father, you can get through it. But you gotta learn to change your attitude. You gotta learn to change your mentality. And that doesn't happen unless you start to understand that just because you're born again, it doesn't exempt you from life's troubles. Challenges and trials will come. But we can find the strength in knowing that God is with us. We can overcome through the power of Jesus Christ when we stand firm in faith. 
knowing that God works all things together for our good. That's why you need the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I can't tell you how many times the Holy Spirit has been a cheerleader for me. I don't know about nobody else, but he 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 been a cheerleader for me. There are times he done told me to get up, stop crying, stop acting like it's the end of the world, stop acting like this is the first time that this done. I done, he, one time I remember the Lord told me, he said, get up. He said, you ain't the first person to been through this. He said, I done delivered a lot of people out of this. Yes. 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 It's like, okay. <laughs> and sometimes that's how you have to get up. You may be still crying, but you got to get up. Why? Because you got to know, just because tough times come doesn't mean God's left me. Every time something bad happened, God ain't turned his back on you. The Bible says it rains on the just as well as the unjust. I just like that he get a just umbrella. I just like that he get a just umbrella. I mean, the rain going to come, but it's what he does for me in the midst of the rain. Somebody say, I got an umbrella. The Bible says in Romans 8, 28, it says, and we know, we know, we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God. To them who are called according to his purpose. My God today, according to his purpose. So if I'm called according to God's purpose and things aren't going right, I don't give up caving and quit. I know it's working for my good. It's working for my good. Somebody ought to say, say it's working for my good. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 and 58, it says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain, if you let this word preach to you, it will encourage you no matter what you're going through. You've been, you've been engineered for success. You've been designed to overcome. The question becomes, why do so many people fail then in the midst of opposition because they refuse to lean on God's promises. They do not draw their strength from his word. In, 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 the, in the words of my apostle, my spiritual mother, they don't take God serious. She used to say that all the time. The reason why people are afraid, the reason why people are, are, are terrified, the reason why people don't know what's going to happen is because they don't take God seriously. Because if you took God seriously, how could you take all of these promises and then still be afraid? Think about it. You ever, I know this has happened to those of you who've had kids. You had a kid, and that kid had a nightmare. And they come in your room, right? And you try to explain to them, ain't no monster under the bed. You try to explain, listen, ain't no boogeyman in the closet. And finally, you just, you know, just, just, just get in the bed. <laughs> just get in the bed. Just, just get in the bed. But why do you tell them to get in the bed? And why do they get in the bed and go back to sleep? Because they trust you. Come on. They feel safe. The reason you keep thinking it's a boogeyman in your finances. The reason you think it's a boogeyman where your health is concerned. The reason you think it's a boogeyman where your relationships are concerned. It's because.
because you don't trust him. God's telling you, come on, daughter. Come on, son. Just lay here beside me. And you're talking about the boogeyman. He's trying to explain to you this financial crisis is not real. But I saw it under the bed. You can't convince a little kid that it's not a boogeyman in there when they don't have a nightmare. You try to take the kid back in there, they kicking and screaming. Maybe I, maybe I broke your arm trying to try not to go back in there. Why? Because to them it's so real. Oh. The boogeyman ain't real. This lack ain't real. Oh, the boogeyman ain't real. This disappointment ain't real. I'm not saying I live a life where I deny everything, but this disappointment is not more real than this joy. So I got to learn to take God seriously. And once I learned to take God seriously, and I learned how to persevere through prayer, I learned how to seek God's guidance and his wisdom, I learned to surround myself with like-minded others, with a community of believers who learn how to encourage one another, then I can remain steadfast in my faith. I can trust that God will bring everything through and that in every situation he'll lead me to victory. That's the reason I can say 1 Corinthians 15 and 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through who? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Somebody say, I got the victory. victory. Now say it like you mean it. Say, I got the victory. victory. And if you got the victory, you got to start living like you got victory. You got to start living like you get. You got to begin to live a life where you're relentlessly pursuing God. And then lastly, number five, if we're going to relentlessly pursue God, we got to learn to lean on Holy Spirit. This is Pentecost Sunday. This is Pentecost Sunday. We sit, Pastor and I was having a conversation and some of our, we have different, you know, pastoral friends and stuff. And it's like, yeah, Pentecost Sunday, we're going to have the Holy Spirit poured out on everybody. That's great. Nothing wrong with that. But you understand the reason we celebrate Pentecost is because the Holy Spirit's already been made available. Now, if you don't have him, today's a great day to invite him in. But again, you don't want to be that Rolls Royce without an engine. Looking good on the outside. (laughs) Looking all expensive and everybody admiring you, but you can't go nowhere. You need the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, and then you need to learn to lean on him. You know, there's really nothing really more frustrating, at least to me, and I'm sure somebody else can agree with this, that for you to know something, for somebody to take your time and ask you, you then tell them the answer. The, not, a, not a answer. The answer. And then they go and do something different. And if that was all, that'd be fine. Right? So it's an annoyance. But no. They go do something different and then come back. They don't ask you for new information. They ask you for the same information. As though asking you the second time is going to get you some new information. That is so annoying. I was talking to God about that one time, about how annoyed I was. And God, they're just wasting my time. I don't even like talking on the phone, God. People just call me and ask me questions. They don't do what I tell them to do, and they come back. 
asking the same thing over again, and I know you want me to be nice. So I have to tell them the same thing over again in a nice way, knowing they ain't going to do nothing again. He said, hmm. You don't say. What you talking about? He said, oh, I just find it interesting that that's your take on it. I said, wait. Um, what? <laughs> what? Ask you, don't do, come back, ask again. Lord, I repent. Lord, I repent. Because we've all done it. We've all done it. And if it's an annoyance to us, and we are made in the image of God, imagine if he wasn't God, how that would annoy him. Right? So we got to learn to lean on Holy Spirit. If we're going to become relentless in Christ, we cannot live this life without Holy Spirit. We cannot live this life without Holy Spirit. The best we're going to get is carnality on a deep level. That's the best you're going to get. It's carnality on a deep level. And that's bad. The Holy Spirit empowers us. He equips us and guides us as we take this journey. He intercedes for us when we don't know what to pray. He gives us spiritual gifts to help us edify the body of Christ and enables us to walk in supernatural power. We need supernatural power. If we're going to make it, we need supernatural power for two reasons. One, so that we can overcome all the pitfalls and all the obstacles that's in our life. But number two, when you live a, a supernatural life, you become a light for other people. Amen. You become a light for other people. Pastor and I was having this conversation about signs, wonders, and miracles. I believe in signs, wonders, and miracles. I do. I believe the church needs to be full of signs, wonders, and miracles. But you know one of the best signs, one of the best wonders, and one of the best miracles there is? is a testament to your life being changed. I told Pastor Sean, I said, I get it. I know people want the kind of unexplainable signs and miracles. They want the person with no eye to take the patch off and have the eye back. God can do it. They want the person with no leg to have a leg fully grow out in service. I get it. God is capable to do all of that. But there are these signs, these wonders, and these miracles that we have the ability to manifest to people every day. And you know what it is? It's called your life being a light. Yes. I agree. Pastor Sean said this morning, she said one of the greatest compliments she gets is when she goes back to Black Alumni Reunion and people go, oh my God, you have sure changed. You got saved for real. When people see what your life used to be, Come on. they see how you used to live, they see how you used to think, they see how you used to move, they see how you used to behave, and now you don't do that anymore, they want to know what happened to you. And then you get a chance to share the gospel with them. Now, do we need to be believing for those other signs, wonders, and miracles? Yes. But here's what happens. If people don't understand the power of the Holy Spirit, they get drawn to magic. Come on. Come on. They get drawn to magic. So anything in the spiritual realm that can be done, they get drawn to it. No discernment whatsoever. Because their only focus is what can, what can be manifest in the natural realm. I want to see some spiritual manifestation. 
I want to see a mean person not be mean no more. I want to see a person who didn't love become a person who loves. I want to see a stingy person become generous. So if we're going to live relentlessly for the Lord, we have to make sure that we are leaning on Holy Spirit. One of my favorite scriptures, Psalms 119. Psalms 119 is so good because when we talk about the practical example, how do I lean on Holy Spirit? How do I cultivate a dependency on Holy Spirit? Well, I do it by daily surrounding myself with his word. You know, there are people they call gym rats. And gym rats are those people who love basketball. And they play basketball all the time. It's like I went to high school with this dude who's a gym rat. He used to always wear his jeans too big because he wore gym shorts under his jeans. Because at any moment that somebody bounced the ball, he was ready to play. He was a gym rat. He was ready. I want some word rats. Come on. I want some folk who, who are always ready to soak up the word of God in their life. Not, not, they don't have to run to it and, and turn the pages when they're in trouble. They just they, they soak it up for enjoyment. But the Bible says in Psalms 119 and 96, it says, I have seen that all human perfection has its limits. It says, no matter how grand and perfect and noble, it says, but Lord, your commandments are exceedingly broad and they extend without limits into eternity. What does that mean? It means that when I learn to lean on Holy Spirit, it never comes to an end. It's never exhaustive. Everything human, everything perfect, everything that is, that is great, it has its limits. One of the reasons I tell people in this church all the time, I, well, you, you, you tell me you're getting ready to make some decision, my question is what? Why? Because you need to, because whatever decision we're about to make, it needs to be rooted in what God said. Because his word is the only thing that doesn't have limits. Yeah. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and to lean not into our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct our path. In the month of June, you're going to hear us talk a lot about refocusing and rekindling our lives to be in alignment with the kingdom because remember the, the guiding word talked about the first six months of this year guess what June is guess who not going to get caught slipping guess who not going to get caught lacking there are some things that are coming and we are going to be prepared our job is to make sure that we are all prepared your job is to make sure you come along for that journey. So I want to encourage you, even though we're having our huddle today, our next huddle is June 11th. In between that time, get connected. People say, oh, I just, I just can't do online service. I get it. Sure is funny how you be posting about them TV shows, though. But who are me? Who are me? You do what you have to do to stay connected because your connection is important.
you have to listen to it on audio, listen to it on audio. When you, when you grocery shopping, listen to it on audio when you're in your car. When you go for your walk, the weather's getting nice. A lot of y'all trying to get y'all summer body before these last, before fall come back. Because right, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's this summer. Was <laughs> you trying to get your summer body before the fall? I, no shade, I understand. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, hey, Pastor Edward, how that summer body come? I said, looking real winterish. Looking real winterish. We didn't say which summer. <laughs> but seriously, do what you got to do to make sure that you're staying connected to the word, not just to FOC, but to the word. Read your word every day. Pray in the Holy Ghost every day. Take communion more often. And then, you know, don't miss a service. Don't miss a service. You can watch it on replay. Amen? Listen, I want to encourage you one more time to go back and listen to Kingdom Alignment. If you listen to Kingdom Alignment and you listen to, you've listened today, I think it's going to set you up very nicely for what's going to happen in the month of June. You want to be a part of this in June. Now, I don't want to just end this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand to your feet real quick.